Thank you. You may be seated. Our second scripture reading is found in Matthew chapter 10. I'll be reading verses 40 through 42 in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus tells his early disciples and us, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. From the study of social psychology, there is a concept known as the just world hypothesis. It is also called the just world theory, just world phenomenon. In a nutshell, it is the belief that in general the social environment is fair in that people get what they deserve. You may have heard, may have said phrases such as, hey, you know what? You got what was coming to you. This one. What goes around comes around. Maxine, chickens come home to roost. Mm-hmm. You reap what you sow. All of these expressions in some form support the just world hypothesis. The concept was developed in part to help explain the mindset that to preserve a belief that the world is a just place, people will sometimes devalue a victim. Well, you know, they got what was coming to them. The just world hypothesis is significant because it suggests that people may treat certain victims badly out of a desire to sustain their own belief in justice. For instance, a woman who might be dressed in a flirtatious manner, who is sexually assaulted, and the comment might be, well, what did you expect? That's what you get when you dress that way. She had it coming to her. When you think about it, those comments are utterly disgusting because they tend to excuse the actions of the aggressor while blaming the victim. In a global sense, believing in the just world hypothesis might lead one to believe that people who happen to be born in a particular area of the world just have to endure what comes to them. You know, I hate it for you that you were born in Syria or the Sudan, or any other oppressive region in the world. But you know, that's just the way it is. That's life. Some of us happened to be born in the good old U.S. of A., and, you know, some of us didn't. Hey, the land of the free, the home of the brave. Oh, well, sorry, as I said, hate it for you. But that's just the way it is. Taken to the extreme, the just world hypothesis becomes a way to justify or rationalize violence and oppression in the world. 
even to the point of declaring that if you or your family or your country or your region would have made better decisions all along, you wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. And so because of what you have done, because of what your people have done, because of what your country has done, you find yourself in this situation. So let's see. Where have we heard this type of thinking before? Oh, that's right, from the Bible. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm thinking specifically about Job and his situation, where his wonderful friends who are there to console him quiz him on what in the world he has done to bring all of this disaster on himself. Surely you have done evil to deserve what has happened to you. His three friends beginning with Eliphaz, just some excerpts of their comforting words to him. Eliphaz says, Consider now who, being innocent, has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I, as I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Translated, you reap what you sow. Thank you, Eliphaz, for those comforting words. And then you have Bildad, friend number two. Surely God does not reject one who is blameless or strengthen the hands of evildoers. What have you done, Job? And then friend number three, Zophar. Yet if you devote your heart to God and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of fault you will lift up your face, you will stand firm and without fear. Job, whatever it is that you're doing, stop it so your fortune will change. The just world mindset. We see this mindset throughout the Old Testament where the view of God is that of one who punishes us when we do wrong and blesses us when we do right. Now please know, I am not excusing bad behavior. All our behaviors have consequences. However, there's a really big difference between how God was viewed in the Old Testament and what we see from Jesus in the New Testament, and that big difference we call grace. We sang about it just a little bit ago, America the Beautiful. We sing, God shed his grace on thee. Grace. God shed his grace on us. We deserve justice, but we receive grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God shed his grace on thee. You know, America the Beautiful is truly a beautiful song. It's a wonderful song. It's a classic. And God does shed his grace on us. But when I sing this song, I cannot help but think of an implication. And that is, 
God sheds his grace on us because we are America the beautiful. And by extension, it's understood but not stated that he does not shed his grace on others because they are not America the beautiful. I mean, really, does God shed his grace on the Sudan? Come on. Does God shed his grace on Syria? with the Assad regime and what they do to their own people? God shed his grace on Iran, on Iraq. Does God shed his grace on Russia? Of course he does. The grace that we receive is not a limited grace that only reaches out so far from our doorstep. It reaches out all over Olive Branch and DeSoto County and Mississippi and the United States and, yes, the entire world. Everyone on this planet is entitled to God's grace regardless of what they deserve, regardless of their actions, regardless of what might have brought them to this point in their lives. But please don't just take it from me. Take it from the source himself. I read again from Jesus telling his early disciples, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water or maybe cold brew coffee to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. Jesus speaks of those who simply welcome his disciples, who do nothing more than hand them a cup of water as actually being pulled into the mission of the disciples, and in turn into the very mission of Jesus himself. Wow. God shed his grace on thee, yes. But God also sheds his grace on others, even a stranger who welcomes or gives a cup of water. And of course, the reverse is true. If we are the ones welcoming the stranger or giving a stranger a cup of water. David Lowe's continues this thought. He writes, once you realize this, we can quickly add to the list. Just smiling at the strangers we see instead of ignoring them. Even offering a shoulder to cry on to one who grieves just welcoming the new kid in school or at camp, even writing a letter to a congressperson about an important issue, just showing up for a march to protest the abuse of power, 
even thanking a law enforcement officer or someone in the military for their service. Just offering to buy some school supplies for a teacher whose budget has been cut. Even helping out at a food kitchen, just being there when your kids need you. He writes, small gestures I know, except that in the kingdom of God there is no small gesture when done in faith. Each and every act of kindness and generosity has an impact well beyond what you had imagined. Indeed, Jesus' words seem to imply that no act of generosity or kindness will be forgotten. What a contrast to the just world hypothesis. You got what you deserve, therefore you get nothing from me. My friends, please know that God does shed his grace on us, but not because of what we have done to deserve his grace. And please know, he sheds his grace on others as well, and that grace can be demonstrated to others in how we choose to treat while Rachel, Laura, and I were milling around the CBF General Assembly in Atlanta, we were actually down in the uh, resource fair, or they call it the gathering place now, where you can just you can buy books, which I love to do, and you can go to meet the missionaries and buy some of the things they've done, and Mike Hutchison was there, and it's like we just all this gathering place. I got a text from Corey, a very curious text from Corey, and it said, this is it. You think y'all could grab us a few of those Welcome Your Neighbors stickers? And I replied, sure. Actually, I said, sure, but I already got you a book. I haven't given it to him yet. I had no clue what the Welcome Your Neighbors stickers were. But I, yeah, yeah, we'll get some, yeah, yeah. So Rachel and Laura and I looked all over that gathering place. We looked everywhere for the Welcome Your Neighbor stickers, and we did not see any Welcome Your Neighbor stickers. And so Rachel Googled it, as Rachel does with everything. And so she Googled it and showed me a picture of a sticker, and it had different colors on it, and I turned around, and I am not kidding you. I looked at the little kiosk right behind where we were standing, and I saw those colors on the table. And I said, hey, that might be those stickers. And so then we go and try to figure out how I can finagle this lady to get some of her stickers without having to sign up for what she wants me to sign up for. She was, I think, a missionary from South Carolina. And, you know, I, I told her, I said, hey, you know, I got church members that say, hey, I want some of these stickers. And she well, take some of these stickers. And so I did. And um, the sticker reads as follows. Actually, the sticker doesn't have all of this on there, but it's implied. It's, no matter where you are from, we're glad you're our neighbor. That sticker come out? Good. No matter where you're from, we're glad you're our neighbor. Now, since I had not heard of it, and obviously so many others had, uh, I looked it up Friday. Uh, instead of going to one of the breakout sessions, I stayed in the room and looked up <laughs> as I was working on the sermon. And so I want to read to you some excerpts from an NPR story telling the rest of this story. 
It's a simple sign, one message. No matter where you are from, we're glad you're our neighbor. But here's the catch. Three languages. Spanish, English, and Arabic. They've popped up in Pennsylvania, Detroit, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Canada. Thanks to local printers and without any national campaign. I'd never heard of it. You can trace a journey back by word of mouth from neighbor to neighbor or friend to friend. One resident of Washington, D.C. picked up a sign in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Now 350 residents are about to pick up their signs. In State College, Pennsylvania, Penn State campus minister Ben Weidman saw a post about the signs on social media. He asked his parents visiting his sister in Harrisonburg to pick up 10 signs. Now he's printed and distributed hundreds. My Muslim friends talk about how wonderful it is to see signs in Arabic around town making them feel a little safer, Weidman says. And our neighbor who speaks Spanish was moved to tears by seeing our sign in our yard. The thousands of signs across the country all stem from a single black and white hand-painted sign on one church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, called Emmanuel Mennonite Church. Pastor Matthew Buecher was definitely not setting out to start a nationwide phenomenon. His sign went up last year after he was pretty disappointed with the rhetoric of the primary debates, especially as directed toward people who weren't born in the U.S. The church is located in the northeast part of Harrisonburg, which has a long tradition of being the African-American part of the city, he said. But in the past 20 years, it's also become home to a lot of people from Central America, the Middle East, and around the world. That's why we did it in three languages, English, Arabic, and Spanish, he explains, because those are the three most common languages spoken in our neighborhood. A few months later, a group of local Mennonite pastors was trying to find a way to say something positive, says Nick Meyer, a pastor at Early Church in Harrisonburg. I thought Early Church. We could call our church Early Church. We meet at 9.30. So they decided to take the sign's message and spread it more broadly. A friend of Meyer's, Alex Gore, turned the trilingual message into a simple, colorful yard sign, and they printed up 200. The pastors distributed them, encouraging church members to pair the sign with concrete acts of outreach to their neighbors. The sign spread throughout Harrisonburg, a small city of some 50,000 people. I had a bike accident last week, and it happened to be right outside of the mosque, Buker says, and I looked at it, and I saw one of our signs, and I was like, this is awesome. I feel really cared for at this moment. As Mennonites visiting Harrisonburg brought signs back to their home communities, the message spread to other towns. Emmanuel Mennonite printed another 300 signs, then another 1,000. Buker's sign was a statement born out of Mennonite belief. This is a symbol of Jesus' command to love your neighbor, he says, and as followers of Jesus, we follow someone who was himself a refugee. But Buker and Meyer embraced the fact that the message has spread beyond their faith. In fact, the yard signs were intentionally designed not to specify a connection to the Mennonite church. That way, anybody who resonates with that, anybody who wants to promote that feeling of welcome and hospitality will feel free to grab a sign, Meyer said. By the thousands, people have. The response has been overwhelmingly positive with very few objections or acts of vandalism. A few people have objected that it's just a sign, not an action. 
and everyone agrees on that point. Does a sign change anything on its own? No, it doesn't, says one who has helped distribute the signs in D.C. But it expresses that this is a person who believes this, and that's a great sign, literally and figuratively. It shows that it's a community that's caring, not apathetic. That's the thing with a symbol, Bucher says. A symbol is something that stands for something else. The sign is a symbol to us of how we live. So I got some stickers. See, these were the stickers. This is the color, and it's just got Welcome Your Neighbors in English, and then something there in Spanish, and something there that I'm assuming is Welcome Your Neighbor in the other two languages as well. And so, your stickers. I got some more in case anybody wants one. But those that know me know that sometimes I tend to go overboard. So, Corey, I went overboard. Got you one of these, too. I'm very excited. Hey. So it's up to you if you put it in your yard or not, but I thought, how cool is that? Showing signs of grace, literally and figuratively, to strangers. On the Friday, the last day of the, uh, the General Assembly, it's come to be a time where uh, missionaries and others are commissioned. It's a wonderful time. Uh, this past Friday night, the music was just the kind of music that Rachel and Laura and I just gravitate toward. It, the pre, uh, pre-worship music was this organist that they just allowed to do whatever she wants to do on the organ, and there was an orchestra, and there was about a 150-person choir, had to be. And it was just a glorious time of worship and at the end they had the commissioning service and there were some 25 chaplains who were commissioned six church starters and four missionaries and after they were commissioned there was a laying on of hands ceremony and Susie Painter told all of them to get out into the aisles and so they stood in the aisles and she said to them you're standing alone right now But then she told the rest of us, I want you to go and put your hand on one of these that we're commissioning. And she said something to the effect, you're putting your hand on a stranger as you help usher them across the threshold into the ministry that they're going, where they're going to be serving. And it really, it really touched me in a very different way as I put my hand on the shoulder of a gentleman who was going to be a chaplain. I didn't know his name. I don't know his name. I didn't know where he was going. I don't know where he's going. Yet I could put my hand on him and tell him, Grace be with you on your journey, even though I didn't know him. It was a profound experience. God sheds his grace on others through our actions. Just a hand on a shoulder, just a sign, a small thing 
really. A cup of water, a smile, an encouraging word. But it's enough to remind us and others that yes, God shed his grace on thee, but his grace does not stop with thee. His grace is for everyone. Let's pray. Father, we forget that sometimes.